0: Welcome to Fathering Excellence, where fathers of accomplished people share their parenting insights. This episode, I am excited to be talking with E.J. Glazer, father of highly accomplished comedian Nikki Glazer. Nikki's career as a stand up comic has led to appearances on all the major late night shows, including Fallon. Kimmel, Conan, and Seth Myers. She's been on Dancing with the Stars, hosted TV shows on MTV, and currently hosts Blind Date on Bravo TV. Nikki's also participated in the roasts of some of the biggest names in entertainment, including Alec Baldwin, Rob Lowe, and Bruce Willis. She also has two hysterical Netflix specials that are definitely worth adding to your watch list. In addition to all of that, Nikki hosts her own hit podcast called You Up with Nikki Glazer. Nikki and her sister Lauren are both fortunate to have EJ as their father. EJ is a wonderful guy. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, including work-life balance, Action Saturdays, and what not to say to your adolescent daughter. Before we get started, there's one thing which, if you could do this following the episode, it would really help to sustain the podcast, and we would be extraordinarily grateful. Specifically, if you hear anything in this episode or others that you found helpful, we'd greatly appreciate it if you could take 60 seconds to provide a rating and a review. When a podcast has more ratings and reviews, it appears higher on the search results. So by taking a moment to do this, you'll be helping the podcast and helping other people to find it. It's easy to do on the Apple iTunes podcast app. Just search for Fathering Excellence and keep scrolling down until you get to the star rating. Scroll down a bit further and you'll see where you can click to leave a review. Thank you for any help with this, and enjoy this episode with E.J. Glazer. I'm Jonathan V., and this is Fathering Excellence. Well, I would really love to start trying to understand what the Glazer household was like when the the kids were young and and what that dynamic looked like. But before we go there, I got to know what it's been like for you over these past few days touring with your daughter and, and, and playing guitar with her on stage in front of these crowds. What's that been like?
1: It's been the dream of a lifetime. I tell you, you know, I've, I've, I, I was an aspiring musician in my 20s and I just I didn't have the confidence that my daughter has about trying to pursue a career in entertainment. So uh, when I was uh, in my late 20s, I, I thought, well, you know, I got to get a go get a real job. I can't just play music for a living. But I, I played music for a living for about three years. And enjoyed myself immensely, but then started a career in cable television. So, yeah, being on the road with Nikki in my last 10 years, I've had a band in St. Louis and I've played a lot of gigs around town and kind of gotten back into it. And I semi-retired and started pursuing music more full time. And I, I play in retirement homes and I play gigs by myself. And I have a trio
0: I think that's Glaze and the Moon Kings, right? Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah. It's, we have a guy named uh, Dave Moon, and a guy named Jim King, and EJ Glazer. So we all get equal billing. <laughs> and I'm, clever I'm, name. I'm the head of the band. But um, yeah, playing with Nikki, it was just a blast. You know, playing in front of a thousand people to drive in and walking on stage. And, you know, because of Nikki's Instagram, all her fans on Instagram, she's showed me live on there a few times playing in clubs and things. And so. Her fans have some idea of what I do and some, I have some awareness out there. So that was, that was fun. I even had, um, and we were in Cape Cod at a drive in, a group of girls in the front row had EJ signs. They were oh, holding. that's
2: great. <laughs> so it gave me a
1: taste <laughs> of what it's like to be a real rock star for a while. And Nikki came on stage at the end and she said, Yeah, this is my dad's make a wish.
2: <laughs> I said, uh, I said,
1: don't tell me I have a terminal illness but nobody's told me about. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was fun banter
0: how would you describe the difference between playing on a stage at a drive in in front of a thousand people or more versus uh the bar band experience uh you know i kind
1: of dealt felt the same way about it it was fun to move around more and just be a little more animated because it's such a gigantic crowd
0: and then i'm sure a, a big highlight must have been doing that with your daughter Oh,
1: my God. It was just so much fun. It was so, She really threw me a bone taking me out there. I really feel flattered that she did. And it was just a chance of a lifetime.
0: I can't imagine.
1: You know, I walked on stage in the, uh, the drive-in and one of my lines I came up with, I said, you know, I haven't been to a drive-in since the night Nikki was conceived. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we had fun with it.
0: That's terrific. Well, I didn't have the opportunity to see those shows, but I did enjoy your your performance as the house band, you and your wife on the Jimmy Kimmel show.
1: <laughs> Once again, that was a, an opportunity of a lifetime as well. You know, we only got to do 5 or 10 seconds, but uh it was a blast. It was
0: really fun. Uh, it it looked like fun. It was really endearing as well, and and you guys sounded great too. I was impressed. Well, thank you. Yeah. Rolling back the clock, what was the Glazer household like when your daughters, uh, I think your other one's name is Lauren, correct? Right. When your daughters, Lauren and Nikki, were young?
1: Well, it was just like uh, anybody who's a parent out there knows it was crazy times for a while there when you have two kids within 18 months of each other trying to work hard and make a living and support the family and everything. So, but Julie was, we did we opted to decide, you know, that that Julie was a stay-at-home mother and uh, she gave up her job. In fact, as soon as she got pregnant, (laughs) she became pregnant within about two months, she said, okay, I'm finished with my job. (laughs) she she took advantage of that as quickly as she could but that was our decision because we thought it would be important for for julie to be at home with the kids and uh, i was working in cable i worked for warner communications in those days i was a uh, director of sales there and we had 125 salespeople. they went door to door and i was in charge of doing all the the marketing and advertising and so forth so i was working 12 hour days and just you know Mm. early days of cable television were just completely crazy but um, we had a house that um, we lived on a on a whitewater river outside of Cincinnati in, a, in an area called Loveland. And it was about 10 minutes away from work. So I was able to get home and take care of things if need be. But uh, the kids were just a blast to have around. And my wife comes from a family of, of 10 kids. And most of them were in Cincinnati. And her mother and father were there. And my mom was still alive there. So we had a lot of support in Cincinnati. Julie was able to go to her mom's house and we could bring the kids over there for a, a night or two and get some rest. It, just to give you a little over, I had a boss that I just didn't like at all. And I, I really struggled with it for a year. And I just decided to take a chance and join my brother in this independent contractor business selling advertising. So I decided to do that. So I, th- I, th- I thought I'd have more time with the kids, like i got tired of 12 hour days and working on weekends and everything. And so I thought, you know, this will give me a chance to work out of my house. So I quit my job. But I was just cavalier about it thought, you know, I, I can make good money. I'll build this business up. And mm-hmm. after about two months, I quickly realized, oh, no, I'm good at this. I'm doing well, but I'm not going to make the kind of money I was used to making.
0: And how how were the hours? Uh,
1: the hours were great. I was able to spend more time with the kids, but I, I was running appointments and trying to build a business selling advertising in these, these Thomas... Regional directories, these business directories, which you know, going from the world of cable where I had HBO and all these networks winding and dining me and everything, and going from that to uh, being a struggling salesman, it was a good thing to spend more time with the kids, but it was a big mistake as far as our financial opportunity. After two years, I thought I got, I have to find a different gig, and my experience was all in cable television. For some reason, everybody was kind of I don't know if you didn't have experience in that field. They really didn't want to look at you, so I I struggled finding a new gig to uh, come into a position that was a middle management type position. So I thought, well, I'm going to call a headhunter, and maybe we'll have to move. So I called a headhunter, and within a week, I had three interviews. And uh, I went to Minneapolis, I flew to Denver, and I flew to St. Louis, and I was offered a job in St. Louis, and I accepted that. And within a month, we were moving to St. Louis. So wow. Nikki was six years old. She was a, in first grade and Lauren was just in, in preschool.
0: Uh-huh. So, so pretty good ages. Was that still a difficult transition for them? Did you have to help them to manage through that change?
1: Not one bit. They were just totally uh, malleable in those days. You know, mm-hmm. Nikki and I were talking about it. She went from one first grade class halfway through the year to another first grade class. And I was looking at uh, her baby book and some notes that I had written just last week, we were looking at it on, on her podcast and uh, I had written, you know.
0: Oh, I, I listened to that, yeah. oh, Yeah, yeah. that's great. Her first
1: yep. week, she was going ice skating on that, that Saturday and spending it at a friend's house that night. and She she, she just uh, transitioned very smoothly, as did Lauren. Lauren was in preschool and she loved her new preschool and had friends right away. And so it worked out well. That's wonderful. But I felt so horrible taking them away from their grandparents and, mm. you know, all the, the support system we had in Cincinnati. But yeah, I told my wife, you know, she, my wife never went away to college and I, and, and, uh, I said, Hey, just, we'll give it four years. It'll, it'll be like going away to college and we'll come back and it'll be fine. And here we mm-hmm. are, here we are 30 years later, still in
0: San Louis. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask how you approach, I think a lot of fathers struggle with that, right? I, I, I know I did for many years. I'm actually in a part-time position now. I took a, a 40% haircut on my pay and, uh, I work three days a week officially. It can be really difficult to, to figure out how to manage your work in a manner that, that enables you to, to be successful or, or you make a trade-off in terms of your advancement at work. How did you go about being more purposeful, it sounds like, in terms of managing your job so that it would not completely overtake your life? You know, I, I, I remember reading an article
1: with Ronald Reagan was criticized in those days in the 80s for only working nine to five he made a comment because everybody said, you know, if you're a president, you should work more, you know, more hours than that. And he made a comment. If you can't get your work done from nine to five, then you're doing something wrong. So just really trying to to be effective while you're there, put everything you can. And just, you know, the, I think the culture changed a little bit. The culture I was in in Cincinnati when I was with Warner was, you know, if, if you left before eight o'clock, you were just considered not really doing your part. So it, it was really just, you know, trying to baby boomers trying to move up in the in the organization and trying to prove that you're part of the team and yeah, I'll work a 12 hour day and yeah, I'll, I'll work Saturdays too. And it was just, it was maniacal. It was crazy. And then, you know, and when I moved to St. Louis, I started, I was a director of marketing and I became vice president of marketing with charter communications. And I started hiring generation X people. And, and then later in my career, millennials and the Gen X people I hired taught me a real lesson because their work ethic just wasn't I remember we used to lament about it as older baby boomer generation management we'd say god these these gen xers boy they they don't know how to work they they work, they come in at nine thirty they leave at five, and uh I took a lesson from that and thought, Wow, they're onto to something, you know the age old adage that uh you know on your deathbed, you're not going to regret spending more time in the office
0: so you took a lesson from the Gen Xers and
1: uh <laughs> I <truly laughs> did yeah I started to wake up and realize. You know what why am I giving all this time to this company when I could be home with my family so you know I, I worked a solid solid work day and then uh, went from there
0: yeah, so a bit of uh it sounds like a couple of different adjustments, a bit was a a mindset in terms of what you thought was reasonable to to invest in your career from a time perspective, and then how you invested that time sounds like you worked to become more efficient and effective within that a lot of time yeah so thinking back to your home life. Did you and your wife have a uh, discreet parenting responsibilities?
1: You know, my, my wife, we used to talk about it. My, my wife's family, you know, they had 10 kids and that was the World War II generation. And uh, her father was, I love the guy. He's a great man. He didn't brag about it. But I think his wife brought this up more than anything. He never changed one diaper with oh. 10 kids. Wow. I know. And anybody, you know, my age group down just always has that that reaction. Because, you know, I pitched in when I was there. You know, I'd, I'd wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, if they weren't being breastfed, I'd give them a bottle and do what I could and change diapers. And, you know, I think my generation, we we pitched in and we, we were there when the kids were born. We weren't sitting in the waiting room. We were, we were there to snip the umbilical cord and experience everything and just really right. pitched in. But, but really, you know, when I came home from work, it was like, leave it to beaver. You know, Julie had, a, my wife had a meal on the table and she had pretty much, you know, taken care of, you know, what the kids' needs and so forth. But when I came home, I, I pitched in until we put the kids to bed. But really, she did, you know, the lion's share of the work, and did all the laundry and the house cleaning and so forth. And I, I just, you know, was the one that was the breadwinner.
0: In terms of parenting philosophies, are there any that come to mind in terms of how you approached parenting, values that you tried to instill? You know, I look back on my parenting
1: and, and, and you know, I I just was really trying to just be myself and just, think that the kids were going to learn a lot of life lessons just by, by me, you know, being me and doing my thing. And I, you know, I look back at it's one regret I have is not giving them
2: more, sitting down and say, you could do anything in life and here's some principles to live
1: by. I never really took that approach. I just really tried to set a good example and try to, yeah. you know, be a fun father and, take the kids on outings and try to instruct them and read to them and steer them towards the right type of media, the right type of books and things like that. I hear a lot of people talking about their parents and say, my parents, my father always told me to treat people with respect and to, you know, I, I just never really had those kind of definitive lessons. So okay. I, I think, you know, I, I wish I would have done more of that. But I think, in so many words, I think I did instill those the the kind of values I wanted to instill, but I didn't define it as such.
0: I would just I think those are good to articulate those things to your child if if they come from a place of sincerity, but only if it's backed up with the example, right? Uh, I don't think it does any good at all if it's if the yeah, good point. if the parent is saying treat people with respect and then they don't. So if you were modeling that, that can be much more powerful than than saying it, and certainly much better than saying it and not living. Well, that, that makes me feel uh, a little better.
1: You know, I, I came from a, <laughs> I came from a home. My father um, was an eye surgeon. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and my father ended up being an alcoholic and really screwing up in a major way. He had a you know an affair with another woman when I was like seven years old, and treated my mom horribly. And so they went through a, a terrible divorce. I was raised by a single mother, and my father married another woman. And my father passed away when I was like eleven years old, and wow. um, cut us out of the will entirely. And wow. uh, so. People always think, well, you were raised by, a, you know, your father was an ice person. You were raised wealthy and we didn't really have a pot to pee in. <laughs> My grandma helped us out, but my mom went to work and, and we, we lived fine. I mean, we had a great life, but uh, my mom really rose to the occasion. She was a great mother and we all kind of bonded. We had my bro- older brother and older sister. We all bonded as a family unit and really supported my mom. And we, we knew we were, was kind of us against the world because. There was a real stigma to divorce in those days. And I was, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to play with a lot of kids in my, in my grade wow. school because, uh, I was in a Catholic school and I came from a divorced household and my father was a little bit violent sometimes. And so there was, there was kind of, you know, I remember playing football and somebody's in some lot across the street from a friend of mine's house and his mom came home with groceries and I had to go hide in the bushes while, while she unloaded the groceries so she wouldn't see me there.
0: <laughs> My goodness, isn't that so? But bad? I, you
1: know, it didn't, I always, I, I don't know, I always knew that I was, you know, being raised the right way and I always knew that, you know, it was ridiculous why I was, you know, we had a stigma attached to us. And uh, so, it's, I don't know, I, I just kind of rose above it.
0: Are there things from that experience that uh, you think purposefully or otherwise applied in your parenting? Are there things that perhaps you were purposeful to avoid, based on your your father's, how you were describing your father, or things that, from your mom's example. My mom always,
1: we always used humor a lot to get through hard times. And my mom had a mm. good sense of humor. And occasionally, you know, my mom raised three kids, you know, we, we'd have carpools that would come by to pick pick us up for school. And my mom would oversleep. <laughs> and she would come running in our bedroom to go, I overslept. And we'd have you know, three minutes to get ready. And and then occasionally she would just like, wave the carpools on and say, we're having a Glacier holiday. And we'd all, you know, she'd call and say, we're all sick today. And we'd stay home and we would just have a fun time watching TV and playing, playing cards, doing whatever we did. So I always thought, you know, just having humor and just, you know, trying to you know, be lighthearted about things. And my wife and I made a pledge even before we took our vows that, you know, I said, Hey, if we do this, if we get married, we're not getting divorced because I'm not going to have that happen to to my kids. So, it's always like, a you know, rather than have a bow in front of a priest or whatever, we had a commitment on our own that we were, yeah, we, were, we were going to make this thing work regardless. That's wonderful.
0: Would I be inferring too much by thinking that might have been some of the the early seeds of uh, Nikki's personality in terms of her... I would hope so. Her interest in comedy or... or I would humor? hope so. We always,
1: you know, we're immersed in media. I mean, the, the kids from an early time, we would, uh, like my my parent, my mom would always, if Don Rickles was on Johnny Carson back in the 60s, we would stay up late. She'd let us stay up late to watch Don Rickles because we, or Buddy Hackett, any of these old comedians. And so we were, we were kind of steeped in comedy. And My daughter Lauren is very funny too, but we've always used humor as a way to get through tough situations. And it's always uh-huh. been something that, uh, in my wife's family is a bunch of, of funny people. They're like, father-in-law and my mother-in-law were just uh, off the charts with humor so it's always been a way to get us through but uh, yes yeah, so I'd say uh, humor is a big part of, of our, our life.
0: Would you purposefully expose, would you expose your daughters to some of the comedians to the late night shows?
1: Friends was a big show when, when my kids were young and I used to let them watch that but they were too young to be watching and I guess it was you know mid-90s so Nikki would have been you know 10 years old and uh, you know all the innuendo in that show, not even innuendo, just full frontal. And I, right. I used to call it, Nikki just remembered this the other day, but I used to call it, you know, the show was called Friends, and I used to call it Sexual Frenzy. <laughs> because everybody was, was you know, with everybody else. And I used, my wife and I would watch that and look at each other like, oh my God, thank God most of this is going over their heads. But of course, a lot of it didn't. And then Seinfeld came around, and Seinfeld was... Pretty much pretty, pretty raw too. But by that time they were a little bit older, but we would never miss a
2: Seinfeld and would let the kids watch Friends. And yeah, so we, we didn't watch tons of television, but I guess, you know, we steered them
1: towards, you know, they, they found on their own. Nikki said, you know, every day after school, she would watch uh, Saved by the Bell. I, I, I never saw that show ever, but sure. she was on a podcast with one of the stars from that show recently and she was, she was so excited about it. But the other thing, you know, because of my cable career, I, Had one of the first TiVos, that changed everything because Nikki was able to watch Conan O'Brien. And that is what she attributes to her comedy career. She's been on Conan a few times. And whenever she's on, she always tells Conan, you are the reason I'm here.
0: That's terrific. On the parenting spectrum, there's the the humor to get you through some of those harder times or just to keep things light and have fun. On the other side, when you had to implement discipline, how, how did you approach that? We were really
1: pretty loosey-goosey on that. When I was raised by my mother, you know, I was the third kid, and she just trusted me to, you know, most of my friends had to, they had to be home by 11 o'clock or something in high school, and, you know, I, I could stay out as long as I wanted to, and I, I really didn't abuse it much. I just, you know, I hate to act like I was this upstanding, great guy or anything, but I, I just, you know, my mom trusted me, and I agreed with that trust. But I, and So our kids, we kind of did the same thing, but they had more strict curfews. Um, so, you know, they had to be home at a certain time, and they were both such good girls. Nikki used to just
2: panic if if she was, you know, going to be late for a
1: project, or she was in the National Honor Society, and she, you know, mostly had straight A's, and Lauren was the same way, just a great student, and they really didn't get in any trouble. And I remember telling Nikki one time in high school, I said, you know, before you leave high school, you should try to get some kind of detention, do something. Just, you're, you're going to look back and think you didn't have any fun, and uh, but they were just really good students and uh, you know involved in extracurriculars. Nikki was in a bunch of plays. Lauren was in plays too. They were both so focused and really just great, great kids. You know, I used to, I used to love to go to parent-teacher conferences because I would just bask in all these beautiful comments they would tell me about my kids, and uh, I would never miss a parent-teacher conference because I just loved getting that positive feedback. That's terrific
0: yeah I've not heard uh, many parents advise their kids to to try to get in some more trouble before <laughs> you know
1: just uh, John Lewis said you know good good trouble
0: you brought up something earlier I, I wanted to just explore a little bit further so you mentioned you tried to parent by example in some ways are are there particular things that you exemplified that you think were important for raising your daughters, certain things that you were modeling or certain values that you had that perhaps translated into to learnings for your daughters as, as they observed you?
1: I guess just really unconditional love. Just whatever you're going to do, we're going to love you. And that's, that's such a, a wonderful thing for a kid to know that they have. And
2: not just saying you love them all the time, but just just showing it and just uh, you know, hugging them and trying to, when they were young,
1: trying to play with them and be at their level and try to Listen to them, and looking back, you know every parent always thinks, "Wow, I could have done so much better. I could have done so much more." You always beat yourself up sometimes for that, but not that I was the greatest. But when I when I was on the weekends, we always we used to call them Action Saturdays. You know, I'd always we'd always have a bunch of things planned on a Saturday. You know, and and try to go out and experience things and spend as much time with the kids as possible. And people always tell you, "Boy, enjoy these days while you can, because they go fast." and Boy, and I, I took that to heart because they do go fast. Because once once the girls got to be 12, 13 years old, they they could care less about spending time with their parents. Sure, you've heard the, the the classic line that with with girls, especially, the aliens come and take them away when they're fifteen, and then they they bring them back though when they're in their early twenties.
2: <laughs>
1: it's so true. That's very fitting. Yeah. I never forget. You know, I was driving Nikki around. Yeah, you know, I'd go pick up her friends to go to a, the mall or the movie or wherever they were going. And uh, upon approaching one of her friends' houses, she said, Dad, when my friends get in the car, don't try to be funny. Like, you know, I I never (laughs) am funny. I'm just trying to be funny.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's such a loaded statement.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You've never been funny ever. And quit trying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is great. Do you recall any particular uh, challenges that you had to deal with as a parent?
1: Well, Nikki had an e- eating disorder. It's really, that's, that, was the, that was the hardest time being a parent that I can remember. And, and Nikki will talk about that we didn't do a very good job at it. And uh, I think it's one of those things that's just so difficult to understand. You know, she went on a crash diet in senior year. And I remember we went to Florida for spring break and we drove down with a few of their friends in the car. We drove down to this area that a lot of St. Louisans go to, Destin, Florida. And on the way down, I remember we stopped and get fast food or whatever we did. And Nikki wouldn't get anything to eat and she would maybe eat one french fry or something. And was like, what are you doing? And uh, that's when it really started, I guess. And then as senior year progressed, uh, it started, she was really skinny and some of the teachers started telling my wife that you know there's a problem here, so we ended up you know having to take her to to see doctors and had to kind of intervene and she ended up you know we had to put her in hospital for a few days and uh, she was wow. really you know against that and I I was kind of like hey if this if you're not going to eat then this is what you're going to have to you're going to have to deal with this you know this is this is what happens to you if you can't take care of yourself we'll force somebody to take care of you and Nikki will. I've heard her talk on various podcasts, and she's told us, too, that we just kind of really were not aware of what was happening and really should have maybe intervened earlier. And it was just such a puzzling thing. And I remember talking to my cousin, who's a doctor at the, at the time. I called him up and said, what? you know, what he, he knew something about this. And he said, well, if this is something, she'll probably deal with the rest of her life. Once you have an eating disorder, something really affects you forever. She came
2: into her own and kind of kind of worked it out and really overcame it and, you
1: know, started looking more healthy and started doing better. But boy, it was really that was a scary, scary time for us because we just couldn't understand it at all.
0: Uh, I can't imagine. I don't have any daughters, so I'm. Talking from a place of where I don't have that experience, but it it strikes me as though it's harder for them, for girls and young women, to to deal with the pressures and and body image and things to that effect. Nikki would make sure she did everything perfect with her
1: grades and studying and doing papers. She'd stay up all night to make sure the paper was perfect and she was going to get the right grade on it. you know, that's why I told her, yeah, it's, relax, just get a, get a detention every once in a while. You you can't be perfect all the time. So that was, mm-hmm. I remember reading that and thinking, wow, that's, they really hit the nail on the head with Nikki. Because once you go on a diet, I guess the analogy was you go on a diet and you find out that, wow, I'm good at this. You know, I, I'm good at not eating. And so you overachieve in that department too.
0: Interesting. I would imagine these days with social media, the perception of what? Perfect is with touched-up photos and people only displaying certain photos. That there's a skewed perception of of what a, a healthy, perfect body looks like. Yeah,
1: I think you're so right. I remember watching an older movie with with either of my daughters. Even recently, they say, "Wow, look at that!" In the '70s, girls were so much oh, so much heavier. And you know, to me, they look totally attractive, but to them, they look like wow,
0: they're overweight. So, with the benefit of hindsight, and from what? Nikki has told you, are there signs? So if there's another parent listening right now who who has a daughter that they suspect this might be a problem, are are there signs that you would advise people look for in order to detect it earlier? Is there an approach that you would recommend to do differently than perhaps that you did in terms of handling? Yeah, I would
1: say um, if you have a daughter that goes on a diet and all they talk about is food and they
2: start looking at calories, that I would say you have a, a, the beginnings of a problem. If
1: not, you know, the, the problem's already there. And I think I was we were in denial. We just did, didn't want to, you know, well, that, that happens to other people and it couldn't be happening to our daughter. And I guess they, they, it happens so gradually to see them go from a normal body to thinner
2: and thinner and thinner. It just, it just didn't did not really slap us in the face until other people brought it to our attention. I just, you know, it, it's it's really strange disorder. Yeah,
0: yeah. As, as many of them are, <clears throat> uh, I think we all we all have our our demons and challenges, and that's uh, that's one that certainly plagues a lot of people. I think I think you're right that we all believe it won't happen to our child. I'm sure it happens to to boys as well, yeah. certainly with a, a lower prevalence. But I only know this because there was a 5K in my area as a fundraiser for it. But there is a terrific organization called NIDA. It's the National Eating Disorders Association. So, if there are wow. people listening that suspect that their child might have similar eating disorder, that's a, a great resource to check out first and to learn more about it. Yeah, I think it's like most of those kind of
1: groups, just really raising awareness about it is, is half the battle. Because you know, yeah. if I would have been more aware of it, we might have uh, you know, might have discovered it earlier. But I, I was really asleep at the wheel on that one. I just didn't didn't know much about it, and
0: yeah, just. It's brave of Nikki to talk about it, and I appreciate your talking about it as well because it helps so many people when people talk about it, especially people that are well-known. It helps people to understand that it's, it's much more common and prevalent than one might think. Just to touch on a, maybe a related topic, Nikki's talked about depression from time to time as well. I'm a little less familiar with her history with it. Is that something that manifests or, or was something that your family worked through when she was a child or was that later well, on? You know, I, I guess,
1: you know, depression can run in families, and, you know, those kind of problems. And we were just talking about it the other day when we were on our little comedy tour. So I know it runs in my family. It's something that uh, I don't, my daughter Lauren doesn't struggle with, but Nikki, Nikki has struggled with it from time to time. And if, if you know more about uh, comedians, a lot of them seem to, to, to have depressive qualities. <laughs> you know, they, they seem to all, all have some dark, dark times. Nikki always talks about one of the highest compliments I ever gave her was years ago, you know, when she was first starting on comedy, I, I said, wow. You're, you know, because I, I always listening to Howard Stern. I'm always amazed at how honest he can be about him, himself and some of his, his yeah. issues. And I said, "You're, you're as honest as Howard Stern." You know, I can't believe you. And she, she said that a few times like that. It was a, a great thing that really, like, yeah, I guess, yeah. You know, and, and no, we, and as hard. a family, we've had to The I mean, First time she was on Jay Leno because she was doing jokes about my wife and I. And i uh, never forget, they sent us out a packet, a FedEx packet, yeah, you know, with all kinds of documents to sign saying, you know, we will not sue NBC or its affiliates. And we just signed them and FedEx them back that day. <laughs> so, and, then, and then we had to suffer the slings and arrows of, of her comedy. And one of her jokes was, uh, yeah, my mom, she she's a shopaholic. She loves to buy alcohol. And my wife said, you know, she couldn't go to the grocery store and buy a bottle of vodka for months after that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you mentioned that you were you know, expressive in, in your personality or your, your humor around the house. My understanding is that Nikki's first experience in stand-up comedy was at the age of 18. How did you see her progress towards that?
1: Starting in middle school, she was in plays. She had a role of scout in To Kill a Mockingbird, and she nailed that one. And then uh, she, we had this, she had a drama teacher in middle school. And when she went to high school,
2: her drama teacher ended up going to, you know, making the, the leap from
1: middle school to high school. And so she had the same drama coach who was really a great guy. His name was Milton Zof, so he put her in plays, and she was always you know and everything from Macbeth to she was in a play called August of the Tea House Moon, which was an old Marlon Brando I think he was on stage of that and it's a it's kind of a a comedy. I remember her drama coach told her she had great comedic timing he said you're like Lucille Ball you have great great wow. timing and, and she took that to heart I mean she just because it was, she had a, a funny part in that play. You know, it's just one of those things that a teacher telling you one thing can make all the difference in your life. So then she went to college, freshman year at University of Colorado. Her roommates all told her how funny she was and they had a talent show out there and they convinced her to sign up to go to the talent show to do some stand-up, which she had never done before. And her roommate, Catherine, who was still her best friend, they actually called me on a cell phone from the front row of the the talent night, and I got to listen to Nikki's first performance on stage. I really—I forget what she talked about, but uh, I got to hear it live on, over a cell phone. It was so funny.
0: Oh, was very cool. oh, that's terrific. And
1: then she came home that summer, and uh, she wanted to go to a comedy club. And so I took her up. I guess she was mm. underage still, because it's a it's 21 and over club, but I guess she... I got her in and she didn't she didn't have a drink or whatever. But we went to the funny bone, which is where she just performed last week. It's still around and that's they had a little tent card on the table that said they're doing comedy classes on Saturdays. And so she called the number and signed up for the comedy class and that she never looked back.
0: You mentioned her participating in a play in high school. I have read and, and not everything on, that you read on the internet is Correct, so this may or may not be true, but that she used to be petrified of public speaking, even having to give an oral report in class, and and that's a fear that she... Addressed head on by auditioning for a, a part in a play in high school, perhaps the same one you referenced. Was that something that was that was on your radar screen as a parent? I'm sure there's a lot of challenges that as parents we're not even aware our, our kids are going through. Yeah, I don't really remember
1: that being a, an, an issue and something that she might have dealt with on her own. You know, I I was that way too. I, I I didn't play music professionally until I was 23 because I I always knew I could do it and I played you know for friends and so forth but i never had the guts until i finally you know a, a girlfriend broke up with me and i, I was just in a you know a, a kind of a downward spiral for a while and i thought i played guitar a lot and i, did, I just one day i thought god damn it i'm gonna go audition at a, at a club and try to get a gig. i auditioned this girl said you got the gig you're, you're great And i was like Okay, so we well, give me six weeks to learn some more songs. And I'll be back, but uh, I think that's the same way Nikki dealt with it. She just kind of
2: finally came to the point where she could overcome her fears. And you know, when she
1: was on Dancing with the Stars. She she said that that was that was like you know walking a tightrope for her because she said I'm never I'm not a good dancer. She knew it, and but she said you know I'm going to do this because it's it's something I'm totally afraid of. And I'm going to overcome my fear and just force myself to do it. Like jumping right, out of right, an airplane right. so she just has that that inner moxie that you know i definitely didn't have when i was her age my other daughter same way she she was interested in the spanish culture and she's i'm after college she's I'm, I'm moving to spain and we don't know where that came from she went to spain by herself and moved to sevilla and lived there with with some other girls and then came back and then she said she just knew she wanted to be a spanish teacher and learn the language and she, moved back to Madrid for a year to immerse herself. Now she's a Spanish teacher in high school.
0: That's terrific. It seems that Nikki, I suspect based on how you described it with uh, with Lauren as well, has a personality and a mindset that seems like she's very courageous. Seems like she's got a very positive, I can do this type of an attitude. I've heard her say that there was a point in time where she decided that she was going to do comedy, and she was going to stick with it until she's 27. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she <laughs> she uh, told
1: me when, when she was a fledgling startup, she said, Dad, it's going to take me eight years to get good at this. So, you know, don't, don't expect anything right away.
0: Is there something that you think may have contributed to that positive and courageous mindset that your, your daughters appear to have?
1: I'd like to say that uh, my example, my wife's example, led them to that, uh, that level of self-confidence. But I really can't put a finger on anything that we did that was, you know. I, th- I think my wife and I are always just surprised at where they got that because I sure didn't have it when I was when I was younger, and my wife doesn't think she did either. So I'm really, you know, I I'm glad that they both have that kind of self confidence and stick to itiveness to make to make it happen.
0: And I think it's like there's always a, a lot of different influences on a child, and then there's a, a certain part that's certain part that's nurture and a certain part that's nature as well, right? And it's yeah. hard to know where one starts and one stops sometimes. Were you performing at all when they were growing up? Or is that something that you put on hold uh, after you had kids and then restarted after? put on
1: hold. But there was a time when I was struggling. When I quit my job, my, my good job, I was doing the other thing. I, I wasn't making enough money. We were struggling financially. So my, my old musical partner and I got together one summer when the kids were... There were probably five and four at that point. But I got to, we got together one summer and had a gig that we played a couple nights a week. And I remember my wife bringing the kids to see me. And I remember, you know, she dressed them up in little little dresses. And they came and sat outside at this restaurant while we were performing. And I remember <laughs> they were both just awestruck <laughs> to see yeah. the old man, you know, playing in front of a bunch of people. But, you know... They had seen me playing around the house enough. They're like, whenever I get the guitar out, they're like, dude, no, not the guitar again. You know, my kids will tell you, I always you know, gave them, I made sure I had a piano because if I would have had a piano in my house growing up, I would have been a pianist for sure. We never had any musical influence in my house at all. I I begged my mom for a guitar when I was 12. But anyway, I made sure they had pianos and took them to piano lessons. And Lauren was really good at it. It didn't take as much with her. She didn't care that much. Nikki took some guitar lessons. They, whenever I, I try to do a family sing along, they would never do it. And it's like <laughs> on, this, on this trip with on tour with Nikki, she's like, Dad, you finally get to sing with your daughter.
0: Well, it's great that they got to see you perform. I, I would imagine, and who knows what, what experiences shape children in what way, but it, based on how you describe their reaction, I, I would imagine that that may have had an impact in terms yeah. of broadening their perception of. What they can do and achieve seeing their father up there doing something that to me, to this day, is incredible. When I, when I see anybody performing in, in any manner in a bar or at a drive-in or in a large auditorium, it's, uh, it's <laughs> it hard for me to get my head around how I could do something like that. But to, have, to see your father do that, I would imagine, would be yeah, a, hopefully, pretty cool. hopefully it
1: encouraged him a little bit.
0: A couple of questions on uh, parenting as an adult, like after your kids become an adult how have you approached that? You're certainly in a, in a unique situation now due to quarantine where your, your is living with you, but as she transitioned from high school into adulthood, how did you approach parenting? How did your relationship evolve at that point? Um, it's, it's really fun when you get near when the kids get in their twenties, all of a sudden you can be so much more honest with them, you know, like telling them things about,
2: you know, some of the mistakes I made and, uh, being more more forthcoming about you know me getting kicked out of high schools and some of the dumb things I did and I, I talked about that when they were in high school too I guess but I didn't
1: tell them some of the wild tales of some of the things that my friends did or I did and so it's really fun to to give them some maybe some life lessons on it. so you know when you, you come across certain characters in your life and you know I always use the line you know if you bad company it brings bad fortune so make sure you you pick your friends carefully because if you you hang out with people that are not good people it's going to reflect on you and that's something I've always tried to drive home through telling stories about my past and so forth but I I guess you know the fun thing about having adult kids is just being able to level with them and they can tell you some of the dumb things you did as a parent you know and Nikki or Lauren will both bring up things I I did or said as a parent I'm like I can't believe I said that to you you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so it, it,
0: I have to ask: does, does one come to mind? Well, one comes to mind that's uh, pretty pretty funny. But um, and, and, and this, and I, I kick myself for saying this, but uh, this is kind of a weird thing. But we were at the dinner table one night when Nicky
2: first started, I guess, developing. And you know, as if 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 I was a boy and my father said, "Wow, you're getting muscles," I would be like, "Thanks, Dad." Or you know, I think that was really cool. But I said. Wow, Nick,
1: you're, you're getting breasts,
2: <laughs> and that was probably
1: the, we were talking about it just a few days ago. It was probably the dumbest thing I could ever say as a parent, but she she ran away from the table crying, and she said, you know, "I thought it was like a major compliment, like, you know, wow, you know, because you know, girls like to have boobs, I guess, you know, but and, you know, and I kicked myself for being so stupid, but uh, she ran away from the table crying, and my wife said, "How could you say that?" I'm like. I thought I was giving her a compliment. You know, I thought that was something you'd want to hear. But, you know, but Nikki told me just over the weekend, girls don't want to, you know, all of a sudden, you know, develop breasts. Guys are looking at them. They they really feel, you know, terrible about that when
2: they first start to, you know, go through adolescence. But yeah, so that's just dumb things you do as
1: a parent. You know, you just look back on it and go, how how did I say that? Adolescence is a tough time for any parent to go through. It's just, you start to realize it when, you know, the, the kids, everything, you know, they're embarrassed to be with you. They don't want to be seen with you. And everything you say is, you know, it's like the classic Mark Twain line. I'm sure you've heard that. You know, I said, like, I can't believe my father was so stupid when I was 18. and How he got to be so smart by the time I was 23.
0: <laughs> no truer words. Yeah. There was one of the topics I wanted to circle back to you briefly was that Nikki set your expectations that it was going to take eight years for her to get traction as a comic how or did you support or encourage her through that journey i can see where there would be parents on the opposite end that are saying you know you're crazy you should get a job how did you approach it
1: well we um she was making a little bit of money here and there but not much but we we really gave her a nice you know fail safe where you know, we, we were supporting her somewhat in those days. And she always talks about how she couldn't have done it without our, our support. And I don't remember it being all that much, but, um, you know, I guess we did, we did cough up, you know, in those days, and didn't make sure she, she could uh, have, have something to fall back on. And I remember I always try to be even Steven with both my kids. So we always, we gave money to, to, to Nikki. We try to do the same thing for Lauren, but I think Nikki might've gotten more in the long run, <laughs> but 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 yeah, so that she had a little safety net to fall into, and she always attributes, you know, us to really helping her so much in her early career. And She keeps trying to pay it back now with buying us big gifts and things and things like that. Because she's been more successful. We always tell her, don't worry about it. You know, it's what parents do. But you know, that if looking back, you know, if I might have had more of a safety net like that, I might have taken more risk too as a, as a young kid. You know, so it's nice to have, have your parents be able to to do that. Yeah. We we didn't do it to, to, you know, we didn't say, hey, we're going to cover you no matter what. We, we, she, she had to, you know, take part time jobs. She was a babysitter. She taught Koreans how to to talk English when she was in LA. And she took temp jobs and she worked when she was in high school. And we always made sure our our kids had to work.
0: Did your daughters have jobs when they were in the house, when they were in high school or before? Oh, yeah.
1: they, They, they were always working at a beauty salon or, some of the weird jobs they had. Nikki was a, a waiter at a pizza place here, a waitress at a pizza place in California Kitchen. She made pizzas at a place called Emos, which is a St. Louis institution. And Lauren had some more jobs, working
2: at uh, beauty salons and taking care of people's dogs and taking, you know just
1: making extra money on the side. Because we, we never really you know gave them bought them anything they wanted or anything. They had to, they earned their own keep.
0: I have a few quick closing questions. So first, what are three words that you think your kids or your wife might use to describe your parenting style?
1: Hopefully fun, loving, and forgiving. Kids can mess up and I'm not going to hold a grudge or anything or, you know, just it's something that, you know, that's... Something that happened in the past, let's move on from there. And I really i am having trouble with an example of that. But I guess I didn't have to use forgiveness too much with my kids. But uh, something that uh, I remember with my mother just being a, a, good, a good attribute. You know, you mess up, you, you know, hey, let's just move on from there. Let's not, let's not dwell on that. Let's just make things better going forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sound advice. With the benefit of hindsight, is there something that you might have done differently as a father?
1: I think when I started off talking about it, I wish I would have imparted more more of life's lessons. Like, wow, you know, I wish I would have talked more openly about sex with my daughters, which I didn't really do. I thought that was my wife's job to do. And I thought, well, they'll just get that like I did. My my mom never really sat me down and told me all about, you know, that. And I wish I would have given them more advice on how boys, you know, think in high school <laughs> and more of that kind of stuff. And I wish I would have given them more, instilled more of, you know, hey, you can do whatever you want to do and, you know, you just have to work hard. And I just wish that would have been more, you know, like a famous quotation, so to speak. And, you
0: know, I led by example and tried to give them the confidence that I I, I thought it would just come through through being a good father and, you know, being active and being concerned and being loving. But uh, to really just be more, emphatic about communicating certain ideals Mm. are there any books or resources or habits that you found helpful and to make you a better parent to help you to be a better parent in general
1: i remember a book that i read in college that my uncle was was a psychoanalyst and i remember he recommended a book to me when i was going through adolescence it's called on becoming a person it's by carl rogers that book really helped me. So I gave it to both my daughters. And
2: I can't say that they read it because it's pretty uh, voluminous, but that book on becoming a person
1: just taught me to be who you are and, you know, everybody's not the same. And, you know, you're, you have certain idiosyncrasies and be proud of who you are.
0: What advice would you give to other fathers, either fathers in general or fathers of children that are interested in pursuing a career in the performing arts or as a comic specifically? Uh,
1: I would say just, uh, number one, get a DVR so you can record shows that your kids can watch when, when they should be sleeping. <laughs> because late, <laughs> late night TV is where you'll find a lot of that. I guess just, uh, Get them involved with extracurriculars as early as middle school and high school and make sure if that's something they want to do that you support them and attend their
2: performances and cheer them on and laugh heartily at their jokes and
1: get some thick skin because they'll probably make jokes about you. (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, I've had a lot of my friends, you know, would go to Nick Nicky shows and afterwards they tap me on the shoulder and go, God, oh, I'm sorry, that must be so rough. I'm like, oh, god!" <laughs> so so, so yeah, I say thick, thick skin if they want to pursue comedy or in the arts, uh, just, uh, you know, lessons, voice lessons, public speaking lessons, anything you can do to augment their school experience would be good. Hug your kids as much as you can and just really give them as much love as you can because, as as they all say, it goes it goes real fast and it goes by in a whirlwind. And you know, if there comes a time when they're going to be teenagers, when they're not going to want you to hug them, they won't let you. And then that'll, that'll go back again when they're in their 20s, you'll be able to. But now that I have grandkids, it's just so much fun to put a kid on your lap and read them a story and have that special time together. And it just reminds me of when the kids were young, how much fun that was. So just just relish in it while you can because it's it's a blast being a
0: father yeah it sure is it sure is ej thank you so much for your time you've been extraordinarily generous with it uh and i've really enjoyed talking with you uh, you're obviously an excellent father and uh i really appreciate uh, everything
1: i appreciate that i'd uh, like to think i was but you know you always have you have doubts <laughs> but john it's been <laughs> fun talking to you too and i, I really appreciate the chance to, to talk on your podcast
0: Thank you for listening, and thanks to EJ Glazer, an excellent father. As mentioned in the introduction, we would greatly appreciate it if you could help sustain the podcast by leaving a rating and even a brief review. It is particularly helpful if you can do this on the Apple iTunes podcast platform. You can also help the podcast by telling a friend about it, subscribing, or following us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Most importantly, remember to spend some time today with your child. It goes by in the blink of an eye.